This podcast is a special two-part series. In this second pod, I speak with Eric de Fontenay, the founder of Music Dish. In this pod, Eric touches upon his work as an international tour manager with the Chinese band Secondhand Rose, as well as how Music Dish now serves as a major support and advocate for local bands in China. So sit back and enjoy the show. One of the things is that most artists, unless you're a Taylor Swift or, or well, you know, someone of that stature, most artists are all on the same level playing field. No one knows them. Hmm. And so on the one hand, that's really liberating because I could really choose bands not based on their metrics, but based on their live performance and their music. Pure, on a, hmm. If you want a more creative level than a business level right i'm mm. thinking business because i'm thinking what can sell tickets but not based on oh you have this many streams you know it's, everything is so data driven today uh on the other hand you know uh we did not sign bands to do tours right we told them it's not worth it because we need to invest in making you known here so we would sign bands to build their career in China as a secondary or tertiary market to their home mm. market. Mm. Which means that before we bought a band, if we signed a band, it might be six months to a year of actually promoting and building up that band leading up to a tour. And, and for us, a tour always needed to have an anchor date. Mm. That would be typically a festival. Mm. And so, well, you have to have that band interesting enough for a festival to want to book them. Mm. And so there's a lot of background work, whereas for everybody else, it's a consequence of the work that they're doing that they find out, oh, this international market outside of their home mm. market is, you know, has a lot of interest in our music. Let's see what are the touring options for that market. Mm. So it's a very different uh, approach. Mm. Yeah. Uh, otherwise, the only thing I would say is that uh, pretty much every brand, every band, and we did like eight to 12 tours a year. That's a lot. Uh, yeah. every, oh, it's very, very tiring. Uh, every yeah. band we bought, like pretty much the first question they asked me at the end of the tour is, when are we coming back? <laughs> and, uh, they 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 just love it. and especially they love the fans. I mean, mm. I think Chinese fans are some of the most open fans mm. uh, anywhere, and they just and and all of these bands are touring bands. You know, mm. we don't because you know touring China is different. You you need to be able to adapt, as I you know talking mm. about that adaptation to different circumstances and etc. And so all of these are bands that actively tour. So they, they, they've seen other audiences, they've toured internationally, and they come to China and say, wow, this is one of the coolest places to tour. When am I coming back? And that to me is, is always, you know, uh, for people wondering about China when borders open, I definitely recommend it as a market because uh, the fans are quite incredible. Yeah. 
on average, we did about a dozen cities on a tour. Okay. So our bands would literally see a good slice of China yeah. on the tour. And yeah. Uh, yeah, so, and it's very punishing, of course, because they're hot, you know, they go into one city, mm. they sound check, they you mm. know, go to the hotel, go sound check, eat dinner, play, mm. drink, mm. sleep, wake up, hop on the train, go to the next city, repeat, 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 repeat. It's <laughs> a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot. So have you ever been burnt out on your journey? Have you ever just thought, gosh, I just need to take a long break? No. I, I think this is one of the inherent benefits growing up and 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 running a business in New York City. Uh I, I've never like you know, people tell me, Oh, Shanghai is fast and Beijing is fast and I go like, No, it's a pretty good moderate pace yeah. to me. Like New York is like insane. It's like being on a roller coaster 24 seven, 365 days a year. Uh, compared to that, uh, I think it, it's just like, I, I like people have noticed that I don't sleep. Okay. And, and yeah. I think I'm, you know, uh, in, in, in most of the world that seems unusual in New York, not so much, actually. A lot of people don't sleep. <laughs> Well, what do you do for a day off, though? What would that look like for you? Do you take a day off? Would it be food, food related? I do that all the time. I, yeah. I always have to. I, I love to cook at home. I, I mean, I, I, you know, if I'm going to take time off, it is that I'm going to do a trip. You know, like uh, last yeah. time I really had time off was last year. Mm. in March, and I went to Yangshuo, which oh. is, uh, yeah, you know, anybody who does rock climbing knows Yangshuo and Guilin province. Mm. Uh, it, it's like the rock climbing paradise of China. Mm. So, of course, I you know, went rock climbing and, and kayaking, and, and, and oh, funnest was like riding motorcycle in the back mountain roads and mm. et cetera. So, like, I'll definitely totally disconnect you know mm. and and but even like normally when i travel to me the benefit of my job is like i have no hobbies my job is my you know mm. is, my hobby is my job so like even if i go to other countries what am i doing i'm hunting down shows and culture mm. and wanting to meet people and artists and dancers and you know like i said when i came to beijing i was you know, I came looking for underground culture, right? So I was like looking at, I was going to art galleries and, and venues and clubs. And mm. this was a significant portion of my, I did see the Forbidden City. Yeah. Did do that, Temple of Heaven. You know, I did some touristy things, but a lot of it was the culture. And, and mm. some people would say, well, that's work. And I go like, yeah, I guess so. Work is good. And and one other thing I wanted to ask is you've sort of spoken about the fact that New New York was a great backbone and a skeleton. Um, but, you know, I've never quite met anybody like you, Eric, who's doing what you're doing out here. Maybe there are other people. You know, was your family or did you have anybody who influenced, any individuals who influenced what you're doing, would you say, who were inspirational? To oh, my dad. Right. My dad is the, big, is the biggest influence in my life. Uh... He had a, an, an incredibly open spirit and mind. Mm. Uh, you know, it, it's funny because 
Chinese will tell me, you know, I, I, I use, they don't tell me anymore, but they would tell me, especially if they meet me, I, I use chopsticks better than they do. No way. Like, how did you do that? And and I go like, well, my dad, you know, had me using chopsticks at five years old. And, you know, when mm. I would ask why, he says, because it's civilized to know how other people eat. You know, you're a civilized person, like a Renaissance person. You know, you should be curious about everything. Um, and my dad, of course, he's French. He went to the States to create a new life. So he was a biggest influence in his attitude to the world, to culture, to difference, you know, different people, mm. different cultures, differences, and et cetera. Mm. So I, I kind of like, you know, really try to emulate him. And he was also kind of didn't fit very classically into society. So he's mm. probably, uh, he's probably more of a creator of chaos and embracer of chaos, <laughs> but you know, there was chaos that, 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 that was good. And, I, I didn't see it as a, a negative, as a positive. Yeah, quite a supporter in what you were doing. He's always been a supporter. You know, when I was, I graduated at 17 from high school a year earlier than everybody else. And I didn't feel like I was ready. You know, I never felt ready to go into society. So I didn't feel like I was ready to go to college or et cetera. Mm. So uh, I just picked like the farthest part of the world and said, I want to go to New Zealand. At the time, the mid-80s, no one knew New Zealand like mm. they do now because Lord of the Rings or whatever. And uh, my dad was really supportive in making that happen. Mm. And so I just went to New Zealand and, and, and you know, kind of like my first job working on a farm. Mm. It's like he helped me like with the contacts, set that up mm. and then I went off on my own for a year, just backpacking mm. throughout the country. Mm. And I kind of, you know, established, uh, you know, living mm. abroad. And for China, yes, he was super supportive of mm. everything I did. Uh, of every, anything I did in life, he was super supportive. And, mm. you know. In New Zealand, did, would you have come into contact quite a lot with Maori culture? Maori culture? Oh, well, see, I'm a quarter Native American. Right. Right. Or first, first people. I prefer that term, the Canadian term. Yeah. And so when I went to New Zealand, I was encountering with Maori. I was like, you know, yo, bro. You know, it was like brothers. You know, mm. it was like the, the, the art, the concepts, mm. the connection with nature, mm. connection with ancestors, even making something that looks like totems. Like when they make their spiritual homes, mm. like incorporate the the history of the clan. I was like, mm. this, this, this is all Native American. Not Native American, but there's so much synergy between mm. that and, and Native American. Uh, that, yes, uh, I at the time, I learned some Maori. Uh, yeah. I went to that extent and was invited to a, a, a spiritual, I won't say religious, because it's not a, it's more spiritual, shamanistic, uh, right? Mm. Uh, a spiritual house and the whole ritual to invite me in which it took about an mm. hour but it was fascinating so yes 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 and also i got really really as a as a fan as a hanger uh into indie music in nice. new zealand at the time and and so that was like probably my first real exposure and hanging out with artists who were in like these weird whacked out bands uh mm. and that would shape me afterwards so new zealand had a lot of impact 
Uh, also, I mean, you know, chaos. Uh, you know, I I often would run out of money and then have to find another job, or sometimes slept in a park or whatever. But it was never bad. It was always oh, this is a new adventure. And uh, New yeah. Zealand, I'll, I'll tell people, is one of the most beautiful countries. Mm. Uh, it's got everything in in two islands. Uh, mm. From like all the scenes you see in Lord of the Rings with like these mountain ranges and glaciers, blah, blah, blah. it's real. It's all real. Mm. That's New Zealand. It's, mm. it's incredibly beautiful. And huh. actually when I was originally there, you know, my idea was, okay, I'm going back to America to go to college, et cetera. But when I retire, I will go to New Zealand. I will buy a farm. Because mm. farming is, is, is huge in, mm. in New Zealand. I will buy mm. a farm. I know where I'm buying it on the no South way. Island, on the West Coast of the South Island. I know the spot exactly. And uh, so my dream was that I would retire. The problem with that dream is that since then, I've worked in the music industry. And in the music industry, retirement is death. Mm. We don't retire in the music industry. We work in creating or supporting or doing music until we die. <laughs> because, as I said, it's not a job. It's a passion. So I guess since I'm not retiring, <laughs> my dream is actually to die uh, while uh, mosh, in the mosh pit as one of my favorite bands is playing. I think that, that that's that's a beautiful death. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for sharing that. Um, I don't know, I get a heart attack or something. I mean, we all die. I mean, you know, Might as well think of what the best death would be, right? Don't think of it negatively, think of it positively. <laughs> yeah, I guess, but touch wood, she says. You never know what might happen, Eric. And also, I wanted to talk to you about your work with uh, Secondhand Rose. How did that wow. come about? And um, what did you guys get up to? Because it was quite a bit of time, wasn't it? Was it about four or five years that you were? Yeah, it was uh, from, see, the first tour I did with them was in 2014 in the U.S. Mm. And then the last show we did was 2019 before mm. COVID uh, played a festival in Siberia, mm. uh, Russia. Mm. Uh, yeah. I. I you know, as I said, when I first went to China, I, I looked for, you know, is there any, any underground culture and was like blown away by what I found. And one of the things I really feel is that almost everybody in outside of China, China is one of the most misunderstood countries in the world. Mm. And one of the reasons is because it's mm. not part of the global conversation, right? Mm. Because you don't have YouTube and you're not, you don't have, there's not Twitter and there's not mm. Facebook and Instagram then by definition, you're not part of the global conversation. So that's why it's misunderstood. So I really wanted to bring what I love about this culture, this modern youth culture outside of China, so people could understand what young people, uh, you know, what they love, what they've created mm -hmm. in China. Mm -hmm. uh, and I wanted to find a band that both kind of, they could relate to. So. Mm -hmm that played rock, but that was also very unique, mm. very Chinese. Mm. And so our soul Megui, Secondhand Rose, was the band that I really latched onto. to. Mm. Uh, Liang Long, uh, the band leader, is actually another kind of cultural giant and a driven man. I, I remember 
on one of our tours, he, we were talking and he, he just said, why can't rockers become celebrities? Because you know, unlike the West and China, they're not. Okay. Right. And, and, and I saw this twinkle in his eye when he said that. And I was like, uh-oh. What's he thinking? <laughs> well, long story short, he is a celebrity now. Right. Right? He is a celebrity. He's been <laughs> TV shows, movies. Um, he's got a he's got a, a, a Billy Billy the equivalent of a YouTube channel. He's got different channels. They got like so many people following him. Uh, I remember when he started the channel and immediately he was uh, sponsored by a lipstick company because one of the things that he does is is uh, incorporate, you know, uh, uh, as uh, Arshwan, uh, oh. you know, uh, parts of picking opera, parts of oh. opera, right? Chinese opera. So obviously, you know, disguising and, and kind of double identity and, and, and you know, gendering and et cetera. And so, yeah, you know, it's, it's, I remember like when I went to his next show after he, he did that, like seeing, you know, they have tailgate parties. That's how big this van is. Like before their shows at a marina, there's a tailgate party. And uh, half the guys had makeup on. I'm going, like, what's going on? And I realized, ah, <laughs> oh, Yang Long's tutorials. <laughs> it's so. Uh, yeah. yeah, so my thing was to bring them abroad and, and to have people kind of uh, discover this other aspect of China. Because I think, you know, whatever you believe politically, it's important to understand the people, right? Mm -hmm. And that applies for any country, you know, it's the UK or the US or China. Mm -hmm. You know, you have to understand the people. And if you understand the people, you can separate things. And, and you know, we can all love each other this way. What was it like working with them? Yang Long is a very, very easygoing guy. Yeah. He is very, you know, uh, I mean, this is a band that really, you know, like any major festival needs to book this band. Right. right? They, they, even, even before he became a celebrity. Mm. And, uh, you know, when we're touring internationally, he goes to me, look, Eric, I know we're big here but I know we're nothing out there. Mm. So all I ask when you do a tour is that we don't lose money. Right. I don't need to make money. Just, I don't want to lose money. Mm. You know? And I thought that that was, you know, he came to it with a lot of humility. I think that kind of reflects like when I came to China, I, I came to China thinking, I know nothing. Mm. I, I'm an idiot. I don't know anything. Teach me, teach me, you know, Chinese people, teach me about your culture, your country, about rock and et cetera. I don't mm. know anything. I think a lot of foreigners come thinking they know something. And right. I think it's very good to, you know, if, if I had a piece of advice for people who maybe are thinking, oh, should I go to China when borders open or whatever? I go like, just come with a lot of humility. And just, just think to yourself, I don't know anything. Right. And I, I had a rule, actually, when I came to China. Uh, it, it's a very chaos-based rule. I had a rule, and my rule was I have no rules. Mm. And so on a practical level, it was my second trip to Beijing. Mm. And someone I had met on my first trip said, when I told him, oh, I'm coming back, he goes like, oh, well, let's go have dinner as soon as you land. Come on. We'll, I'll bring you to dinner. I go like, oh, cool. Yeah, sure. 
And he says, oh, uh, what type of food do you want? You want like Italian? You want like, you know, burger? I go like, well, no, I want Chinese food. He says, oh, mm. well, what type of food? I said, I want to go to a restaurant where a standard typical Beijinger would go eat. Nothing fancy. Mm. So he, he literally brings me to that type of restaurant. And he says, well, you want to order? And I said, dude, he passed me the menu. There's pictures. Right? I go, I don't know what any of this is. You order. He says, is there anything you don't eat? I said, I'll eat anything. Mm. And the first thing that comes on the table is, uh, in English, we call it thousand-year eggs, mm. which in Chinese is pidan. So they're, they're black eggs. They're, they're, they're actually preserved, right? Mm. They're black. But both the, the 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 yolk is like really really black and 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 kind of inky, mm. uh, depending on how it's prepared. And and I'm looking at this, and I'm like, ah, uh, okay. And he sees my looking at it, going like, hmm. He said, oh, you don't have to eat it, etc. I said, no, 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 no. I told you, I only have one rule. I have no rules. So. That means I'm going to try anything that comes my way. And I try, and pidan is like one of the dishes I really love in, in, in China. You know, the, the black egg, thousand year egg. Is there anything you'd like to share that perhaps I haven't asked? Hope people have a, a very open mind on, you know, what is to think of China deeper than the surface. You know, there, there's, there's 1.4 billion people here. And I don't say this from the perspective of there's 1.4 billion. There's so much money it could be made. No, there's 1.4 billion stories, individual stories of people. And the Chinese people in like the over decade I've been here are fascinating, incredible, adaptable, tenacious, just wonderful people. And, and there's incredible stories here that are not being shared globally and you know uh if people want to come and, and discover them and then share them with the world i think that would be great you've been listening to the jane nicola sound vibe show and i've been speaking with eric de fontenay the founder of music dish if you'd like to hear more about creators, musicians, bands, producers, writers and composers from all over the globe, then you might like to subscribe. Thanks for hanging out with us. <laughs>